Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1033 with Stephen Som. You know, when we get so fussed about what we can and can't do is really what establishes those guardrails and barriers. And we're trying to make it as free and liberal as possible while making people just feel comfortable. Because at the end of the day, it's always about the consumer. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. Self-awareness is the number one skill for leaders in the new era of work and self-awareness is also said to be the peak of emotional intelligence. So let me ask you how truly self-aware are you? No matter how self-aware you think you are, you and your business can always benefit from becoming more self-aware. You've heard us talking about predictive index on the show first with Al Lucas in episode 978, then with Ed Doherty in episode 1008, and finally with Matt Pepsil episode 1050. The Predictive Index is a talent optimization platform that helps leaders understand themselves and others, helping build happy, high-performing teams. Try Predictive Index Behavioral Assessment for free. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI to take the PI Behavioral Assessment. Once you've taken the assessment, Ed Doherty is offering a free 30-minute call to read your results and help you become a better self-aware leader. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash try P-I. If you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try Tater Cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater Cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package from the freezer to the fryer to the guest. Serve them in a variety of different ways and in different applications. Great for dining, delivery, and to go. With all the uncertainties of the world today, we should be able to be certain that our food always has great flavor. And Tater Cakes provides that comfort in every bite. Request samples at taterkegs.com. That's T-A-T-E-R-K-E-G-S.com, taterkegs.com. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash r s 
RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest founder and CEO of Planta, Stephen Solom. Stephen, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? So good to be here. So nice to see you. Dude, I'm psyched for today's conversation. Me too. Congratulations on 10 years from originally starting as your, you know, entrepreneurial growth. Uh, and you have thir- over 13 with 14 plantas soon to be. I know there's a lot of moving parts. You sold some assets. You've, you're fo- sounds like you're focusing solely on planta now. I can't yeah. wait to kind of get into your mind and why you made the decisions you've made. But let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us fortune favors the bold Ooh, fortune favors the bold a classic why do you choose that one today i think you know everybody has different priorities and objectives as to why they do what they do and i think you know the the barriers of of what is inspiring um you know, need to be really broken in this industry. I think obviously we've all chosen and recognized that like we're, we're in this business because we love it and we're great at this business because we love it. And it's next impossible to be successful in this business without loving it. So what is your fortune and is your fortune, you know, wealth, is it happiness? Is it, you know, doing good? And, you know, I think what, what my journey has been is, you know, we're trying to be as many things as we possibly can. You know, we're trying to do good. We're trying to be good. We're trying to lead by example, but also recognizing that, you know, this is a next to impossible business to be successful. And, you know, being bold and being, you know, doing something as bold as we are, which, you know, I think obviously there's thousands of examples what is it about what you're doing that's bold please be clear you know we're we're defining a category um you know a category that's not just premium restaurants a you know a category that's you know vegan doesn't need to be so scary and trying to break down those barriers by actually you know introducing a world that is powered by plants that doesn't make people feel that, oh my God, I'm vegan or I'm doing something different um, that, that I'm not comfortable doing. Our job is to try and make it accessible and fun while you still feel confident and excited and curious. Yeah. And that's you know, that's hard to do. And it's not just veganism. It's also focusing on the sustainability side of things. I mean, the two kind of go hand in hand, but you can still be horribly unsustainable and a vegan. You know, you can still choose to get your packaging and your, your shipments in like wrapped in plastic or, un, you know, um, unrecyclable or unreasonable packaging or whatever. So, like, you're not just doing like you're trying to kind of be whole, holistic in your there, approach. There are so many layers to this equation. And objective one is try and make the employee, the guest, the entire experience feel like it was meant to be. Got it. And, you know, when we get so fussed about what we can and can't do is really what 
establishes those guardrails and barriers, and we're trying to make it as free and liberal as possible while making people just feel comfortable because at the end of the day, it's always about the consumer. Mm. Yes. Uh, I'm loving this already, man. So kind of before we dive into your story and we go back to the beginning, paint the big picture of where you are today. I know you, you opened your first restaurant, The Chase, in 2013. Um, you've opened, I think, I'm counting... Let's see, we have Chase Fish and Oyster, a Casamoto, Grand Cafe, and uh, the, what was it, Little Fin, and Planta. So there's a, a bunch of brands that you're responsible for. What, how many of those are you responsible for today, continually? Today, my, my experience and, and management is just exclusively with Planta. Okay. So, so it's actually been an 11-year journey as an entrepreneur, um, leaving... Uh, an opportunity that wa- that brought me from New York to Toronto. So you're from New York? From New York. Okay. Um, and, you know, recognized that being a restaurateur and, and, and owning a restaurant was, was something that I, I felt I knew I could accomplish, um, but also, you know, be great at just for my love of business and my love of hospitality and my love of genuinely taking care of people. Um. You know, that that path started with opening our first restaurant called The Chase in 2013. And, you know, fast forward, success at The Chase, success at The Chase Fish and Oysters, success at Collect Grand Cafe, success at Casamoto. These are all Toronto restaurants that are, you know, great brands, really, really, really exciting highly conceptualized menus, very much about the experience, premium. I mean, these were not fast, casual restaurants. And 2016, watched a documentary, became super curious in what it would be like to give up red meat for my diet, you know, thanks to Google Ads and whatever Performance Max campaigns were existing in 2016. My search history for what happens if you don't eat red meat or where do you get your protein if you give up red meat led me on a path to discover veganism. Um, That was in about a 10-day period. And it kind of just became that nothing tasted as good as the way I started to feel. And it made me think about the restaurants that we owned how we wanted to evolve those restaurants, you know, maybe 35, 40 item menus per restaurant. And we made a commitment to make 25% of those menus, 25% of the menu items plant-based. And during that evolution and journey, I wanted to take my experience and my personal experience as a newly converted plant-based diner and introduce something new to the world. And, you know, it sounds very aspirational, but at the end of the day, it was driven by frustration and need because no matter what, I became the center of conversation at every dinner, at every restaurant, at every event. Like, what is the, what is the vegan going to eat? And I'm like, this isn't how it needs to be. Yeah. This is just silly. Like, yeah. there's, you know, the, the, the core American diet consists of, like, 10 animal yeah. proteins and you know there's you know thousands of fruits and vegetables to choose from so it's like it felt very limiting and you know yeah. all based on barriers and so 
I'm like, this is just silly. Why can't we create an awesome restaurant that you walk into, have your meal that is entirely focused on fruits and vegetables and plants, not worry about what is or what isn't, trying to make something chicken or beef or fish. It's just, it just is. It's just great food. And I'm sure you weren't alone in 2000, especially in 2015, with your this pain point that you're experiencing, not being able to find a restaurant that catered to your needs specifically. I think there were restaurants, but you not know, a lot. not not a, <laughs> not a lot, and not the ones that you you know that made you feel all that great and confident going to. That, you what know, do you bring, mean by that? I mean that that it's the industry's been tough for for some of these early visionaries. You know, some of these people that that either a didn't have the capital, b didn't have the support from you know any type of you know investor base, and and you know the other the other part of it is that. What, what really has sold historically is junk food, you know, the mac and cheeses and the chicken nuggets and the, you know, the analog burgers. And, and it's all of these concepts around making the guests feel like they're, you know, eating pork and whatever. Yeah. And that's just what is not, an analog burger? I've never heard that expression. Like an analog, sorry, like an analog protein. So like basically like a pea protein or okay. like a, you know impossible burger which was really starting to get momentum you know just in 2016 and 2017 and i think you know for the most part i think that they those types of businesses and those types of products serve an amazing purpose in like the fast food world but it doesn't really open up the consumer's mind to the benefits of what <laughs> it's funny. I have a, a question saved for later in the conversation. Or we're, uh, we're like, we're like in it already, <laughs> like minute number six. I know. I like to try to, I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to sit on that one because I have, I don't know. I have thoughts, Yeah, uh, but I'm going to save that for later. Cause I want to share your story first. Yeah. So when did you get, let's go back to the beginning, take us back to the beginning and thank you for getting super, you know, 30,000 feet showing us the big picture, why you're doing what you're doing and where you are today. But, um, when did you get started in, in the industry? How old were you when you like, you know, this is my life. This is what I want to do. Um, I mean, this is my life and this is what I want to do is a very difficult question for a 15 or 16 year old to answer. Um, who's self-aware when they're 15 exactly, years old? Exactly. Yeah. But, but just to paint a picture, food has always been the center of my universe. Um, and, and that, you know, that's from family, you know, European father who was born and raised in Germany and came over with his family in the Holocaust. My mom was born and raised in Canada. And, you know, everything from our life was as close to made from scratch as possible. And, you know, when, when you see that, you develop an appreciation. Um, I think, you know, the food obsession has a lot to do with my path and my journey but I also felt that I was very, very fortunate to be introduced to an upbringing that loved and appreciated hospitality at home, which means that like cooking for people, making people enjoy experiences from like a homemade sense yeah. was very much part of my life. And How did that make you feel as a young man? I don't know if you, I don't know Were if I had the awareness to, to notice anything different yeah. other than the fact that like, you know what your friends do and don't do. And I think that that's a big part of the reason why, you know, friends chose 
our house. What were you doing that your friends weren't doing? Whether it was Friday night dinners, whether it was, you know, my Saturday and Sunday morning rituals with my dad, you know, who is no longer with us, but what, you know, was an incredibly regimented and, and routine oriented person and would leave the house every single morning at four thirty. So our time together around the table was either as late as it needed to be for dinner together or Saturday and Sunday morning where it was like, you got to go to the bagel store and you have to get the cream cheese with chives and the sturgeon and the Novi. And it's like a classic New York Jewish appetizing breakfast, no matter what. I haven't had breakfast yet, man. That sounds right. good. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's probably where it started. Um, but also I was just mesmerized by the, the, business opportunity of how these, you know, whether it be Walt Disney World, whether it would be, you know, a, a resort in the Bahamas that like, and you know, this, this could be a teenager and I'm like, you know, there's people at a swim up bar and there's people, you know, gambling at a casino and, you know, at a buffet. And I'm like, this world of enterprise is exciting. Mm. And, you know, that that led me to kind of pursue a path in hospitality, you know, the traditional serving, bartending, then went into catering sales at Ritz-Carlton and recognized that, like, you know, as self-aware as I could have been, and this is probably resonates with today's employee maybe more than it did with a, you know, 2005 or six employee, is I didn't love bureaucracy, and I quickly recognized that in order for me to be inspired by a mentor, I had to be working with and for entrepreneurs. So what do you mean by you weren't inspired by bureaucracy? Like, What was it about bureaucracy? Um, like, you know, in order to do this, you need to fill out this request form and then this request form would go to this committee and then this committee would then you know, review the recommendation and then somebody that was in a relatively mid-management position would tell me whether or not that was going to be approved or not. And, you know, that's just the way the world works, but it wasn't something that I wanted to get behind. So this is at the Ritz, I'm assuming. This is, I'm not going to name, I'm not going to name. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, so far in your story, it's the biggest organization you've yeah, been a part so, of. So, so, I mean, but, no, but, like for the know, record, no, like hard feelings against zero. big organizations. They need systems, processes, procedures. Absolutely. Scale, but as it, I'm sure you're figuring out. And it wasn't of. even so much the process as it was the approvals. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, here's a great idea. Let's do this. And the, the, you know, the individual or the you know the decision maker in between the idea and the outcome is not someone or some position that i was aspiring to become and that's what made me recognize that i needed to take a different path so you and, were trapped in in between this idea of being able to make the decision or like steering or but i but i wasn't even trapped eric i it was it, it was it was a mental trap that i just quickly decided for myself 
this is not the path I want. Got it. So let's backpedal a little bit. So it sounds like your, your relationship with hospitality, your, your romance with hospitality, this industry, this enterprise started as a young person experiencing it and just kind of being drawn in and curious about it. And over time you started working in the industry. You were a server, you were a bartender. Uh, do you mind if I date you now? How old are you today? I'm 38, 38. So you opened your first restaurant when you were 28 years old. Mm -hmm. That's wild. So when, when, how old were you when you first started serving bartending? Uh, well, the first position was in Canada, so it was whatever the legal drinking age was at 18. that time. It was 18. Yeah, so, I remember. We're the same age, and I yeah. went to Canada to drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so 18. Yeah. So you started working when you were 18 years old. So from the first... But, but I, that's not when I first started working. That's when hospitality. I first started in hospitality. Before then, I would work at car dealerships on Got the it. weekend, wash cars, prep cars. Got it. So uh -huh. 10 years from first ex exposure as a employee in mm -hmm. hospitality to opening your first restaurant that had crazy success. I mean, it's worth pointing out that chase, the chase was, was a success. It, it still is. Yeah. Is it's, a, it's, it's still, still open today. It was best restaurant in Canada the year that we opened. And you opened three more restaurants within the, the next three years after that. Uh, four restaurants four? in four years. Okay, yeah. so this, yeah. so you're not somebody who likes to rest in their loyals. You, or what's the word I'm trying to? Say? <laughs> uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, you really try to get after it. So, um, two, so you're 18 years old. What was your first impression of the industry once you saw it from the other side? Loved. Why? I, you know, think about an industry that you express gratitude so much you know, to, to, to get, do you, are you thanking and shaking hands and smiling at your dentist or your doctor? You know, do you call your, you know, do you go visit a lawyer or an accountant and say, thank you so much. This was amazing. I loved this. Like, let's do this again. I can't wait to, I can't wait to do it again in six hours. Right. No, I, it was almost like a dopamine addiction where it's like, I, I can make people happy and like I can bring in humor and I can bring in humility and I can bring in skill and turn this into profit. And it felt really good. And it just still to this day, like it sounds so corny, but I, I really just, I love being able to be someone that can have an impact that makes people's day, week, night better. I'm going to take this a layer deeper. Why does that matter to you? Why? What's going on internally? What do you feel when this happens? I feel that, you know, specifically with Planta, we've created something that is truly unique and gives people an opportunity to feel like they can escape while having these, you know, limitless experiences. And somebody that, and again, like going back the seven or eight years, I guess it's eight. Uh, yeah, it's going to be eight years in January that I'm plant-based. You know, those initial, those initial moments where you find yourself like, what am I going to eat at this place? And this place looks so good, but why is there nothing on the menu for me? Sucks. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, to, to completely remove that from, from an experience is, is great. And it almost, it felt like it took Planta for me to really understand that there's so much more opportunity out there. Because with The Chase and with Colette Grand Cafe and with Casamoto and with Arthur's and with Littlefin, these were all amazing restaurants and still are. But 
what's unique about them? You know, is, is, is restaurant R and D research and development, or is it really rip off and duplicate? And so every restaurant that introduces something new is based on an experience that was previously had or enjoyed that they want to recreate and introduce to themselves. And so we took inspiration from everywhere for every restaurant that we did. I feel like that's everything that's being created, even artists, you know, an artist's gets inspired by the art that they, you know, their, their art is a, 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 an accumulation of all the experiences and, and impressions they've had from other artists. Maybe their outcome is slightly different, but it's inspired, right? I think that there's a part of a creation is, is inspiration, right? We can't create without inspiration. Uh, so, I, so like all, but all you knew up to that point was what you knew, these exposures, but what you were doing with Planta was original in the sense that it was a, an ecosystem, a plane that hadn't quite been explored yet generally. And, and I think that still exists and I I don't think that we have yet. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of this because the plant-based segment as a percentage of total restaurants and the, the consumer that would identify or label themselves as entirely plant-based still represents an, a remarkably small opportunity. Right. So what I feel is I have the ability to create and develop experiences that cater to the 93% of the people that right. don't eat plants. I can tell you really want to talk about plants. And we're, <laughs> believe me, we're going to get into it. But let's, let's paint that picture of the path you took to be yeah. able to get to the point where you can open Planta, this, this new passion of yours that, that bubbled up inside of you in 2015. Uh, it was 2015, right? So 16, 16. was when I went uh, plant based. Yeah, got it. January. So um, 18 to 28. Just take us to like the major stops along the way. And again, Restaurant Unstoppable's mission is to change the world through inspiring, empowering, and changing the industry. So as you're sharing your story, think about what, where was my change? Where were my, where was my transformation? What, what places? What experiences? What jobs did I have that helped me get to that point when I was 20 years old? I could open my first place. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's, that's a really, I mean, I, I can certainly give you my story, which, I, which we will do yeah. and talk about it. But I don't think that there's, like, there's not a textbook answer to it because it is about how you feel. I mean, I looked on some, you know, secrets to success posts that like showed me these like 13-year-old kids on YouTube made like $38 million last year. So it's not about age. It's, yeah. it's just about feeling and what you can create. And so my journey went, you know, into hospitality vis-a-vis the service path, you know, management by maitre d' as like the first managerial role. Maitre d' evolved into assistant manager, assistant manager into floor manager, floor manager to AGM, GM, and then, you know, a regional position. Were you with one organization for the majority of your career before leaving to do your own thing? I was with two organizations for the majority of that 10-year that period. So uh, it was BLT okay. Restaurants and Maple Leaf Sports and Hospitality. Maple okay. Leaf Sports Entertainment, sorry. Um, and then the Ritz-Carlton. Ritz-Carlton was, was before BLT. Got it, got it. So, I mean, reflecting back at this time, um, what was the biggest evolution for you? Like, like when did you know, like, when did you know that this was the path, like I want to open my own place. And when did you start living intentionally to get to that point? I knew I wanted to open up my own place 
after my position with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, for what you do or don't know, is the parent company that owns the Toronto Raptors, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto FC, you know, Canadian rights to Live Nation, a huge real estate portfolio, and an absolutely incredible organization. Got it. Um, you know, like when you think about how complex a, an organization that, you know, has revenues and fans that are that extensive. I was, I was recruited to work in like an external restaurant division of that company. They were primarily a, you know, and still are a sports entertainment company, but had partnered with two real estate development firms, uh, one of which is Cadillac Fairview, owned by the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund, and the other was a, a large Canadian um, condo developer, and they built two 63-story towers, and at the base of those towers was a retail and entertainment complex with restaurants, hotel, grocery, retail, office. And I was recruited up from New York, my position at BLT, to you know, basically create and curate one restaurant from a shell to an idea to opening day. How old were you when you did this? I was, this was in 2010. Okay. And so that was how many years 13 ago? 13 years ago. So 25. Yeah. 25 years old. What did you do between 18 and 25 to be qualified to be able to do this? How I, did they recruit you? What, what were you doing where they're like, that's our guy? I, uh, you know, every single opportunity presents itself with something super unique and it was a recruiter that that you know found me for the position but it was also you know a very intimate objective of you know of the ownership of this sports entertainment company uh and and my boss at the time that wanted to recruit someone from a great restaurant pedigree and a great restaurant pedigree, it, you know, it's not always about the years, the months, the days. It's also about what have you accomplished, what have you seen, and what are you capable of doing. And, you know, nothing about this job in Toronto had me, like, rushing to do this. But it was an opportunity to connect with people. Trust me, the answer was no, like, for a a solid three months when it was like, this sounds interesting, but like, no, I can't leave New York. I can't do this. So when you were in New York, you, you were, um, th- this is where you, cl- you climbed the ranks. You went from server, bartender, AGM, GM. Where were you when they reached out to you? What was your title? I was the general manager of BLT Steak on 57th and Park. Got it. And what kind of restaurant is BLT Steak? Or is it, is it still around? Should I know about it? Uh, it... <laughs> It is no longer open. I think they closed like six months ago. Oh, let's do that. Um, but that was, uh, you know, there, there was a, 
you know, a, a rather dramatic breakup between uh, the chef partner and, um, you know, the, the operator or, you know, financier. Got it. And, uh, and that, that was, you know, really where I, I had tremendous exposure to what modern upscale dining could look like at an enterprise level. Because when I joined their organization in 07, um, there was, I think, three or four restaurants. And when I had resigned in three years later, uh, there was maybe 10. Okay. So, you know, the expansion and kind of how executives functioned during that expansion was uh, you know a great opportunity to see from afar but also coming up to the ranks and doing a really great job for their business and and for, for my professional growth allowed me to qualify for you know promotions that certainly could go to people that were more experienced on paper but again it's it's not that's what I love about this industry it's not about what you've done it's what are you capable of doing yeah and and so much of our business and the success of it is just talking to people engaging with them and and ensuring that they align with your objectives and and that's in anything that's your family that's your you know if you're a maitre d and you're overseeing five concierge how are we treating the guests tonight do we know their name? Do we know their seating preferences? And and it's it's just about engagement. That's what th- this business is the hardest business because that piece of it is next to impossible to teach. Yeah. You either have it or you don't. I mean, it can be taught. Emotional intelligence can be taught, but it's not easy. <laughs> it is not easy. Yeah. So you're really growing as a professional during this time. You're kind of getting, this is like your, your education, this, this, this time with BLT stakes. Right. And then you're, is it safe to say with, um, MLB that you MLSC, yeah. MLC, sorry. <laughs> um, what is it? Maple leaf sports and entertainment. Uh, MLSC. Yeah. MSLC. Got it. Is, is it, um, is it safe to say this is where you evolved? Like got your masters. This is, this is, this is where I was compensated to go to Harvard business school. And, and I'll tell you exactly why. Because the, the level of autonomy and entrepreneurial spirit that I was allowed to evoke, being heard, having ideas that were listened to, and, and also not only listened to, implemented, were, was such a tremendous confidence booster. Mm. And then seeing it work was another. And what I loved about this opportunity the most is, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors to a Toronto sports fan are, is everything. And they have a very, very unique business plan where they, you know, their tickets and ticket revenue and season seat holder revenue are like the highest of any professional sports league in the world. And the reason is, is because it's all the, the who's who of the banking, real estate, investment, entrepreneurial community that gather around, you know, the best possible seats. And for that market of these 
highly compensated executives that want to go to games. They built private clubs inside of the arena that are in some cases $50,000 a year on top of your ticket price to have your name engraved on a table and served a $250 Wagyu strip steak with, you know, shaved truffle, roasted garlic, mashed potatoes and a DRC. And you're like, what world is there where people are going to a hockey game and in the intermissions, you know, in between periods, you know, your, your meals waiting for you on the table while you're drinking a $2,800 bottle of wine. A world where there's somebody trying to impress somebody else. Correct. And <laughs> yeah. so to think that it exists on such a macro level every single game. I know. Well, that's just really cool to think about like that. Where else do you have people in one spot where some people, to have a ticket in the nosebleeds, they had to like scrape and save to get that seat. And then within like 100 feet from that person, maybe 200 feet, I don't know, there's like these people just dropping money right the, 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 yeah. the riches of the rich but I think there's an underlying message here a business lesson if you're if you're in fine dining especially if you're in fine dining have that item on your menu that seems like nobody will ever spend money on because there's somebody out there that will spend the money on it and the margins are great you know like like don't think that no one like give them the option yeah <laughs> yeah and I mean also like the the, the world that I had you know, been living in for the the previous four years was like steak and red wine, steak yeah. and red wine, and so to see this inside of a of an arena was truly mind blowing, and and it really does not exist, right? And so there's few places where that works, correct? That, that's definitely one of them, exactly. And so that was the convincing part of, of recognizing that like this is a different organization that values ideas and entrepreneurial spirit and clearly that that took place because they decided to get out of the arena business exclusively and build restaurants and hotels and condos directly next to it and so a very 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 interesting opportunity and that's what really kind of allowed me to recognize that being, you know, being a creator was something that I, I, I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I want to point out to a significant part of your story is the, this moment of being seen and being valued for your ideas. And when they, especially when they take form and they, they work and getting the recognition, if you're listening to this and you're in the position to see somebody, to hear somebody, to, to, to take their idea into consideration and to be willing to implement it what you're doing for that person in that moment is way beyond just like the actual like act of doing the thing. It, it cuts deep. You could change that person's life. You could make them a lifer for the restaurant industry by, by letting people weigh in, like get into the significance of being seen and seeing others. That's loaded. That's, that's such a loaded <laughs> question, but that's, that's everything about, being a successful leader right um that's that's just about looking at people and connecting with them for what they bring to the table and also you know probably not part of this podcast is there's there is the the opposite of that too where they don't contribute and they're just dead weight and if you're listening to this and you're dead weight you know 
find something that inspires you more. Right. Because just because you're not contributing to your best, you know, in, in, in an organization and feel that you're, you're, you're not being valued or not being heard, not being seen, try something yeah. else. Tenure is not the only unit being measured for like, you know, career growth. A hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I am such a believer in, in, you know, what you bring to the table yeah. versus, you know, who you worked for and what your resume says. Got it. So we're almost to the point where you break off to go do your own thing. We're almost there. And this has been a lot of fun. Um, any other, just like put, put, imagine the person that's listening to this is you during this time. Just give us like some, like, advice some unstoppable advice the things that you were doing that made you unstoppable that people listening to this can emulate to have the same success i would say i would say that the most transformative moment for me when it went from employee to entrepreneur was an ultimate sense of confidence that what i was going to do could 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 actually happen and when maple leaf sports entertainment was sold to two very large telecommunications companies bell and rogers which is like i can imagine what that was sold for yeah so i'm sure it's public (laughs) knowledge um it became very evident that my future was not going to be based on the entrepreneurial journey of opening more restaurants with this organization. And so immediately I felt that while not immediately, there was a path in the future that was going to trap me into something that I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do. And it was that moment that, and not, not that moment, but like that specific transaction that said okay this is not a business that is based anymore on restaurant growth this is going to be around business enterprise growth which largely is around the success of the sports teams as they should be for professional sports teams you know and at that point i i wanted to to share and identify that my objectives were different and Who I, are you sharing this with? Believe it or not, with the chairman of the company, okay, with the board of directors, and then lastly with my boss, and not in any unique chain of command. But one thing that you have to recognize is that there are people, and there are circumstances that you know, and in my heart of hearts, I knew that what I had the limit and the ability to do was not the norm. And it's not until now that I realized like I was capable and I did do it and I did, did it successfully. But when you're 28 years old or 25 years old or 26 years old and you're writing checks for, you know, a lot of money to build a restaurant based on your idea. Um, there's times when you really question, am I doing the right thing and am I making the right call? And the fact that there was so much support at so many levels for the, for what I was doing, I felt tremendously obligated to, 
to go to the people that touched my life and thank them for the opportunity and let them know that it doesn't matter if it's one, two, or six months. I just want everyone to know that I'm going to be doing my own thing. Yeah. And I don't want to be doing my own thing on their dime. And whatever time period it takes to exit the business is one that I'm comfortable with. And four weeks into my resignation, it was a Sunday night, October 10th. And I had, you know, I spoke to my dad and I said, this is brutal. Like never, ever, ever do I want to give more than four weeks notice. This is like, I feel like I've transitioned. I'm done. I'm like ready to like put pen to paper and like go. Like I really have so many ideas that I want to execute on. And the next day he died and he was sick. Um, and you know, that was, that was the end of my resignation period. Um, and it was, that was wild. Was that by choice? Because like you were in this transitioning out and that was like a you know traumatic time for you. So you're just like, I, I just, yeah, of course. I mean, I yeah, lost my father and I'm sure. like, I'm, 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 I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah. 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 I'm like, so yeah. You gave us a lot and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm staying abreast with you. So you're at this point where you see the organization going in one direction. That's not aligned with where you want to go. You have integrity. You say, listen, this is where you're going. This is who I've discovered I am. And this is where I want to go. I want to do right by you because you gave me all this amazing opportunity. And I want to communicate my intentions so that I'm not burning any bridges. I'm planning on going to do my own thing. And I'm giving you four weeks. No, I said I was going to, I would give whatever period of time necessary. That wasn't the conversation that I needed to have with like the chairman to work right, out right. my notice period. But I said, I don't care if I'm here for another six months. So when months. you say that, I don't care. You're saying, like, like give me... Whatever, it's like whatever makes sense for this organization to exit me from my role right. will work for me. Tell me I, what you need. I'll, do, I'll correct. meet you where you're at. Correct. Got it. Um, and that was... T- that They said a month. No, no, no. And, and so, so at, at that point, it was, it was like mid-September that I had um, resigned. Yeah. And I think the intention was... I don't even remember to be honest what I said I was gonna what, where okay. where I was gonna work, but it was probably like at least eight weeks. Got it. Got yeah. it. Um. So, what I mean, I have I'm, I have ideas. I think the my big takeaway from that is is the integrity to to communicate. Um, I was curious if did that did that level of integrity lead to anything? Did it open any doors? Did it like what like is there like a absolutely. It, 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 it led to relationships that still exist today. It led to um, preserving and holding myself accountable to a standard that I still operate by today and an ethics code that I still operate by today. And that to me is the standard. And those are the connections that I'm looking to build with my employees. And so if and when they come to terms with the fact that this journey is not for them and they have their own objectives. Talk about them. Yeah. Be honest. 
There's one other thing I want to unpackage before we move on to talk about your journey with your own businesses. You said uh, three months of courting before MSL, sorry, MLS, MSLE Sports recruited you. <laughs> what what was it that made you change your mind? What was like? What was the decision you made, and why did you make that decision? Like, did you listen to another podcast and you know the story? Or no? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, so, I, so, I intentionally do minimal research. This is good. So I mean, I'm it's, it's, it's honestly, it's such a good story. Okay. So um, I would say the process started in late February, early March. It was a lot of no's. And it was a lot of, listen, they're going to come to New York. They just want to meet you, whatever. I'm like, okay, we'll meet for a coffee. Meet for a coffee. Productive conversation. When can you come to Toronto? I, we, you need to meet the team. Um, maybe like five weeks from now. And they're like, uh, how about like tomorrow? And I'm like, no, 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 I can't. And I'm like, I, I, I have like, I have a job. I'm, yeah. I'm needed. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, no, no. It's gotta, it's gotta happen sooner. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I've got one day off this week. It's Sunday. I'll come up for the day. So this is in May and I fly up to Toronto and, you know, New York city in May, magical, sunny birds chirping, flowers on the trees, get to Toronto, no trees on the leaves, (laughs) no leaves on the trees, no flowers, raining, cold, miserable. And I'm like, Oh my God. This isn't going this well. This is insane. <laughs> so I go into, I go into the executive offices next to the arena. And again, it's a Sunday in May. It's dead, 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 dead. Like I'm, I'm telling you, I can't see a car in the street. There's construction everywhere. And I'm like, okay. So turns out the general manager of a sports team is a big deal. The general manager to any team that this organization builds is a big deal. It is basically like we're hiring a CEO. Right. And it's not as if like the the red carpet was rolled out, but the experience was so incredibly authentic that I I mean, I'm excited to tell you about it. So so go in interview with vice president goes well interview with executive vice president go well then we want to walk you over to our new sports entertainment complex meet with the ceo of the company you know ceo of the company is a very 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 prominent position yeah. you're you know overseeing you know hundreds of millions saying, of dollars of revenue <laughs> um you know development teams and very engaging conversation, like really engaging conversation. And, you know, one that you just don't have every day. Then it gets interesting. Walks me back to the executive office with the CEO and says, it looks like you're due to meet with the two Bryans next. I'm like, okay, great. Like, you know, they've got this like iPad with my whole calendar for the day who I was meeting. So I go in and... Uh, I go into the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, executive hockey offices. And so, you know, it's like 
very fancy, you know, beautiful floor to ceiling. Like, the whole the whole tower was amazing, but like this was like wow, like what is this? Going to the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team, Brian Burke, and he's sitting in his office, and you know, I, I'm like felt like an idiot because I'm not. I'm not a huge hockey fan. Yeah. You know, I'm from New York, so it's like hockey's not huge in in our right. in our in, in Toronto in, though. Right, exactly. Yeah. He looks at me, he goes, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, what am I supposed to talk to you about? <laughs> and I'm like, I was thinking the same thing. He goes, Look, he goes, apparently this company wants to hire you. And I'm here to tell you that you should take the job. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, but like his raw humor, like he's a, he's the general manager and president of a hockey league. Yeah. He's like, why am I scheduled for this? Literally. Can we just wrap this up? On a Sunday in May. Yeah. Okay. Like the season is over. It's a Sunday and he's in his office. Okay. And so. We have just like a funny exchange. I'm in the office for maybe 15 minutes. Tells me about him, what he does, when he travels. You know, you want to come to the games, you want to do this. Like, great, whatever. Fun, fun time. Then, okay, now I got to walk you over to the other Brian. The other Brian is the president and general manager of the Toronto Raptors. Okay. So now you're going from the hockey uh, executive offices to the NBA executive offices. And Brian is like such a funny guy so his feet are on the desk and he's got players in his office and they're talking about plays trades like whatever and he looks at me and he looks at the board and he looks at me and he looks at the board he goes you're not going to remember anything that's on that board right and i'm like no i'm good he goes look he goes i've been in your shoes before i'm like you have but, um, you know, he's like, he's like, listen, he's like, I know this is a big move and I know you love New York City. And I just want to let you know that I go to New York City like two to three times a month. And anytime you want to go to New York City, you can come with me. <laughs> he's like, if you're feeling like you need some sushi, if you're feeling like you want to go to dinner, whatever it is, like, just say yes. Because at the end of the day, this is an amazing, amazing place to be. And these guys want to hire you, and I really think you should, you should, you know, you should take them up on the opportunity. And like I had gone through the testing and all of it already. Like it was a very extensive interview process. Like you know, different types of assessments and tests and interviews and HR and criminal and all of the stuff. And this is like the home stretch. And he looked at me and he's just like, just say yes and I'm like yes I'm gonna do it (laughs) and and it was it was such an incredible opportunity because those relationships Eric still exist today wow like you know and like with whether it's with players whether it's with owners whether it's with you know um you know president of Diageo it's like all of that happened because a the Canadian culture an ethics code that existed inside of this organization was a 12 out of 10. And, you know, vision and values is how they led 
every single meeting, every single organization. And, you know, Richard, the CEO, wrote a book on, you know, the importance of vision and values starting a company. So when I started my entrepreneurial journey, you know, vision and values was the first exercise. Yeah. And that's a great story to lead to a great lesson of the power of vision and values. Yeah. And what was it about that vision and, va- and their values that resonated with you? Just the authenticity yeah. that they were real. And the fact that they're different from the values that I chose for Chase Hospitality Group and then since evolved for Planta, but they're real. Like, you know, our vision when we started CHG, Chase Hospitality Group, was to redefine hospitality in North America. Suiting for your podcast. Yeah, I noticed that. And, <laughs> and our vision today has, is not that anymore. It's make an impact. Mm. And the reason is, is because our business is so much more than hospitality. It's so many things that it, it felt, it felt like there were barriers with redefining hospitality. And it's like, what, what, how do you measure that? Yeah. Now's a good time to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about your continued evolution as a restaurateur. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and emails sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. Self-awareness is the number one skill for leaders in the new era of work. Self-awareness is also said to be the peak of emotional intelligence. So how truly self-aware are you? No matter how self-aware you think you are, you and your business can always benefit from becoming more self-aware. Q Ed Doherty, One Degree Coaching, and The Predictive Index. One Degree Coaching is offering a free self-awareness behavioral assessment from The Predictive Index. Experts agree, emotional intelligence is the most sought after leadership competency in the post-COVID era. Our ability to drive results requires human connection and it all starts with self-awareness. The Predictive Index is a talent optimization platform that helps leaders understand themselves and others, helping build happy, high-performing teams. Try the Predictive Index behavioral assessment for free. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI to take a PI behavioral assessment. Once you've taken your assessment, Ed Doherty is offering a free 30-minute call to read your results and help you become a better self-aware leader. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash try P-I. 
If you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try tater cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package. From the freezer to the fryer to your guests, tater cakes comes in a variety of flavors, including bacon, cheddar, chive, buffalo chicken, bacon, jalapeno, and more. And I got to hone in a little bit deeper here on this deliciousness. Bacon, cheddar, chive features creamy cheddar cheese, big bacon bites, sour cream and a hint of chives and of course crispy crunchy potatoes Mm, sign me up for that you can serve them in a variety of different ways and in many different applications great for dining delivery and to go with all the uncertainties in the world today we should be certain that our food always has great flavor and tater cakes provides that comfort in every bite request samples at taterkegs.com that's t-a-t-e-r-k-e-g-s.com taterkegs.com Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back, and we got about an hour left together, man, uh, and I want to make sure I get the biggest nuggets out of you. So 2013... You break off on your own by 2000. Is that when you opened or is 2014 you opened Chase, right? 2013 is when we opened the Chase. Okay. And how much time from when you left to when you opened? A year. A year. From 2014. Wait, you said 13, right? (laughs) I left in 12, opened in 13. Got it. Sorry. Yeah. 2013 to where we are today um, or from 2013 to when you decided to pivot and focus solely on Planta, what were the biggest like lessons, transformations, evolutions for you. Just like list them. Like give me the three biggest aha moments you had. I think, I think (laughs) the aha moment is when, when we recognized that expanding planta was going to be our future, that was my aha moment and realized that like we have created something that has a new meaning and a new purpose of what my calling is. And so that was 
a big aha moment. You know, another, you know, another great misconception about our business is that Planta started in 2016, but it was one restaurant in a collection of five other restaurants. And it certainly was not the highest grossing. And so it still was not the core of our business. And it wasn't until 2021 and going into 22 that our planta business was greater than our non-planta business. And so it took over eight years to upsize planta and planta's growth to even consider what the next steps would be for selling the non-plant-based assets. Because not only were they great assets, they were run by amazing people and had amazing guests and they had every bit of me in them. Right. So it's not as if they just like didn't, they stopped existing. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard for me to skip over all the success you had from that, from like 2013 to 2020, right? 2021. Is that when you made the, the pivot? And when did you sell the other assets? 2022 is when, sorry, 2020 and 2021, we utilized COVID to accelerate, you know, two business closures and then sold, um, the, the the last remaining two assets in 2022, the Chase and, and Casamoto. Got it. Um, so it sounds like, if I'm understanding, you were continuing to evolve as an individual. Your values were changing. Your focus was changing. Um, what you set out to do in 2013 no longer felt like it was what you wanted to continue to do going forward. When did you start feeling that internally? I started feeling that internally, I would say, in, you know, somewhere between 2018 and 19, um, where, you know, we were so excited about the opening of Planta in 2016, um, but we didn't really understand the business and, and its boundaries or capabilities until, you know, you you work in the business and you're in the business and you understand your guests and what your guests are looking for and what the opportunities are. So in 2018, we opened Planta in Miami and realized that we could, in fact, successfully transport this concept and this idea to a completely foreign place. Not like Miami is so foreign to Canadians or to anybody, but... They don't know Planta from a hole in the wall. Right. The, the concept had legs. It, was, it wasn't necessarily a physical brand as much as, as it was an emotional brand, right? Where people who share your values, uh, this desire to be plant-based, it's, like a, it's like a, almost like a, it's something that echoes throughout the, the world. And there's, there's a desire, there's a, there's a micro market everywhere for that, that concept. So you recognize that this thing has legs. One other thing I kind of want to unpackage more too, and you mentioned it before we took the break, is that you, your, your vision, your mission statement for uh, the chase was to, um, was it to, to redefine was, hospitality, redefine North, hospitality, North America. Yeah. What does that mean? What did that mean to you? I want to unpackage that a little bit more. Um, 
what it meant was, you know, here it was like blue eyed and bushy tailed and felt that, you know, I was 28 years old and felt that I could, I could do something. And that something was, can we combine, you know, an elevated fine dining experience with something modern that people in their twenties, thirties and forties could appreciate. And, you know, can we, can we change this industry? Because it, it, it changed me. And there's a lot of people that were my age and younger that make up the fabric of our industry and can we change the historical foundation of our business? Keep the good, but dump the bad. And, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about the bad of our industry because it exists. And what it's was the real. bad you were trying to dump? Get, get specific. The bad is, is that how people get how people accelerate in their managerial career um, historically in restaurants have come from a place of not having focus, not having vision, substance abuse. What other industry and job is it? Are you able to have access to alcohol at all times of the day and where that path and what, what happens with that? The partying, the drugs, the, you know, it's, it's just something that I completely, completely avoided and not even avoided was like, I never understood. I'm like, you what? Like, what's wrong with these people? You know? And, and, and like, you recognize that it's not the people, it's just the industry and what's been accepted, you know, the cash, the, the, the ability to speak to people inappropriately without consequences, the, the, the harassment, the sexism, I mean, just everything. And, you know, could I, could I be young and naive and like try to think of a world where this doesn't exist? Like it probably wasn't, you know, it's not something that you, I'm going to go through organization by organization and tell you where it does or doesn't exist, but like it exists everywhere. And it's just not, it's just, it's just not the path that I believe in at all. And, and it's like, in what world would you, would you trust your lawyer in court if this is what they had been doing? Or if you, if you saw that behavior that they were doing, would you still allow that individual to represent you? And if you, you know, if you saw that, you know, these people were going out for, you know, drinks until two o'clock in the morning after their shift and then had to do go operate on somebody the next morning, would that be OK? And it's like, where is the professionalism? Why don't people want to challenge themselves to actually make this business a business? And I think that's actually what makes it so hard, you know, because it is such a hard business. And and that's what I've I've developed a tremendous amount of empathy for, but also not something that I I I I stand behind. And and I really wanted to create a business that and a company and a culture 
that thrived on entrepreneurialism. Did you achieve that? I am in process, but that also has its own challenges because now you're asking people to think like an entrepreneur and think like an owner when they're not. And that's also really hard to teach and exemplify. And you have to do your best to practice what you preach and be present and be accessible and try to to coach through the challenges. But this is the part of our industry that needs to change. And you know, our, the, the hospitality and food business and agriculture business is, what, trillion dollars, two trillion dollars in, in North America? I mean, we're not talking about a small industry. And it's not all bad. And it's also not all good. And so I'm trying to break through with a business and an experience and a company that tries to combine the excitement of like newness where it's like, this is new. This is different. I will try this while also trying to develop a business that provides of course, a tremendous amount of structure and process, like everything that I was against as, you know, as an employee. But it's a necessary but, evil. <laughs> yes, but but also but also a safe space where like you know, we don't we have zero tolerance for like a lot of things. And and I I'm very proud of, of yeah. what we've accomplished to date. Right. So with your experience with M- MLSE, you realize that vision and values is super important, right? You have a vision, you have values, you just shared them with us of what you were going for. How receptive, when you were sharing your vision and values with the people you were trying to recruit in an industry that's so notoriously, you know, guilty of being opposed to those visions and values, how was that received? Yeah, and it's such a good question, but also the piece of what, I recognized at MLSE and also the piece that I also takes years to realize is that they were successful at executing their vision of values and having vision of values and executing on them are very different. And to segue to your question, now I'm dealt with the challenges that the industry represents to try to transform all of these foundational elements of what's wrong with our industry and, and, and create and just have words on paper that are intended to make them right. And my greatest success are with young entrepreneurs and leaders that just want a path. And I was a really great example of that, you know, being young and having vision and taking risk back to the fortune favors the bold was enough to curate a culture internally that said we're going to give this everything we got and it seemed to work because you had massive scale early on 
you opened three or four restaurants in like four or five years or something like that. Um, what was the secret? I mean, one of the things that comes up often on the show is this idea of you can't be into two places at once. So you're, you literally opened two restaurants in like a year. So like, and you, you didn't have time to build a team around you. You had a year from leaving one job and starting a new. Did you bring a wave of people with you? Not a wave. Um, two. Okay. Wow. Um, so I guess that's what I'm curious about. Like, how do you most, not most, but a, a trend I see with a lot of the people I interview, they spend like five to 10 years on location number one. They get location number one to the point where it no longer depends on them because they've built the systems, the, the, the foundation of people where their, their vision and their values has seeped out into others and they have recreated, recreated themselves and others. Uh, and so they can remove themselves from that situation to go focus on the second project. How did you skip that process? It's not that I skipped it. Um, or how did you expedite it or how did you juggle it? Like, wh- I just, I felt that I was present everywhere. Um, you know, the, the, the businesses that we were opening in Toronto were all super close to each yeah, other. There you go. The Danny Meyer effect. If you can't walk to it. You yeah. Know. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's like, it's like you're always on call yeah. and, and you're not always on call to the point where you're micromanaging. You're always on call to the fact that you're always problem solving yeah. and being that solution oriented leader versus a dictator, you know, is, is my style. Well, I think that's part of the, you know, what you shared is the, the, you know, how it made you feel to be seen, to be able to contribute. And when you get out of the way and you extend trust with some structure to have people, you know, be able to contribute and to make decisions, the speed of trust, right? things happen faster when you, when you're willing to extend that trust and to get out of the way. Is that part of what you think contributed to your fast growth? A hundred percent. What should we be aware of if we choose this path? Like what are the downsides of that? That it doesn't always work out. And give me an example of when it didn't work out. I can give you a hundred examples of when it didn't work out. I mean, you, you, you trust people that, that let you down all the time, every day, every week, every month. And, and, you know, it, it could be as simple as an, a decision that they made that they know is wrong and try to cover it up to save their ass. Um, and, you what, know, it could be something as significant as stealing. What's the mindset you need not to put your head through the wall whenever this happens? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> the mindset is, is that I'm more confident in me than I am in them. And... And I know that there's going to be setbacks always. And the graph just doesn't look like a linear path up. It's rocky and it's, it's always got its challenges and this industry and retail and one that is so reliant on human capital are always the ones that are going to be the most vulnerable. And, you know, would I do it differently of course I've learned things, you know, today and last month that I would have implemented seven years ago. Can you give me an example? That's the kind of stuff I like. What have you learned that you wish you knew then? Hire a financial partner right away. And what do you mean by a financial partner? A CFO. Okay. Why? Because vision and boundaries need to be aligned. And 
when you go too far in vision, you realize that you've create, created a boundless environment that can't be scaled. Um, if your objective is to create a, an immersive out of this insane world of experience, you should probably still have a CEO, a yeah. CFO. Is the specific boundary you're talking about a budget? Um, it's more than that. What it's, is it? it's more than that because it's, 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 it's how you operate. It's how you exist. It's what, what can you do versus what do you want to do? And this one's sitting as close to home for me right now, <laughs> Mr. I want to live a, in an RV and travel the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's so true. You yeah. know, like we have grand as entrepreneurs, we have grand visions. We're dreamers. We live in the clouds. I want to change the hospitality industry. I'm going to mm-hmm. redefine hospitality. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have fun with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's, a, but also if it isn't epic, why bother? Mm-hmm. So there's this, what's right. Like, you know, I think it's, it's almost like you got to find that balance of shooting for the stars, but not, you know, being unrealistic about what's actually possible. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it's such a unique nuance and, and, and this, this is what's so incredible about a creator society is yeah. that, you know, there, there is, there truly is a place and an experience and an opportunity for so many different skill sets to, to thrive. And in particular in restaurants, what I love about it and what attracted it to me, what attracted me to hospitality 25 years ago was the immersive entertainment and experiences that could be so multifaceted within a resort, within right. a restaurant. And now fast forward, you know, if you would have told me at the opening of the chase that, you know, my future in hospitality was going to be owning 50 vegan restaurants, I probably would have like laughed it off. But it's true. I think, I think it's interesting as we give ourselves exposure to the world, as we grow our perspective shifts, yeah. You know, we grow, we change as people. So what might be your 10 year plan five years ago m- might like you might become d- disenchanted with it yeah. as you evolve. What is that like that? That literally happened to you or is that, am I stretching by saying that I don't want to put words into your mouth. No, I mean, I think, I think, you know, being a restaurateur and having a collection of restaurants and collective collection of like hospitality experiences was always the vision and always the goal. But you know, what, Planta can be and what I want it to become is always changing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, having a group of plant-based restaurants is one part of our business, but I also aspire and dream of others. Got it. Um, give me one more nugget. Like you gave me with like hire somebody financial from day one. What was another, what one more big, like just Holy shit. I wish I knew that then that I know now know your business inside and out you didn't know your business no i do know i okay that that's what contributed to the success okay so what do you what i mean that's a very broad statement what does that mean be able to do all the things and what i mean by that is be able to cash a server out be able to make your cocktails be able to receive product be able to jump in on the line and understand what every 
cook on every station has to do to get the dish from a raw material to a finished product. Be able to do all the things. And, and this is a continuous learning process still for me today. And I think that that's, you know, that's a big reason why businesses in our, in our industry do not succeed. Right. Is because either owner operators or just investors are just investing in an idea but they're not investing in a person mm. that knows how to do all the things. Right. So this is huge. I mean, this is the definition of, of, of creating a people-dependent organization or a system-dependent organization. If you have a people-dependent organization, you want both, right? But if you have a strictly people-dependent organization, what happens if somebody leaves? Is that why you're saying be able to do all the things? Or what is the that, reason why you're saying this? Well, I think, I think you're going to build a culture of uh, like res- you're going to build a culture of greater respect uh, when, you know, someone's giving you advice that doesn't do your job but knows how to do your job. It's going to hit differently. Um, Say that again. I want to make sure I understand. When 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 you're giving advice and guidance to someone that knows you don't do their job but knows how to do their job, it hits differently than just giving them advice and that person receiving it and making it feel like, oh, this shitty manager is just trying to tell me to do something that they don't even know how to do themselves. Right. So it, it carries more weight. It's authenticates. Yeah. And it's not trust or verify. It's trust and verify. Yeah. I think also when you know how to do all the jobs and you've put yourself in the position of all the jobs. You can sympathize with the person. You can understand that person. So when you're speaking to them and they're telling you it's not possible, but when you're like, I know it's possible because I've done it, you know, like, but if, if they know that you've done it, then they're like, okay, I'm not trying hard. I'm not seeing it right. Or I'm not doing something right. Whereas they're just like, they just don't, they're just not listening to me. You mm-hmm. know, like they don't understand what I'm going through. But when you can literally sympathize, not empathize, but sympathize. Cause I know, I think, again, that hits harder, too. For sure. Yeah. And whether it's like I would receive all the invoices and input them into our, our inventory system and then process checks being paid, inputting employees' hours and payroll, knowing that, you know, writing their schedules and knowing that, you know, it's they may have two days off, but they are working 10 days straight. Right. Um, knowing everything is critical for, for business number one. And can you establish those systems to carry you forward to establish the process? And, you know, that's, that's like the never ending challenge. Yeah. But, um, great lesson there. So w- one thing I'm really excited to start talking about, because I feel like this is something that doesn't come up a lot in the show, but something that probably happens more frequently than I realize is that you start out with a vision and a mission. Like we talked about, you get pretty far down that path of executing your vision and mission. You're having success. You have five or six restaurants concepts that you own. Things are going well. And then you start to 
evolve as an individual and this original vision you had for yourself and your values evolve over time and you start to have something that kind of swells inside of you that kind of takes over. Am I, am I hitting? Is this, am I, am I making assumptions or not, not assumptions? I mean, you know, listen, at the end of the day, the, the businesses that were not planta were always, you know, they're like your children. But when you realize what you're capable of doing, eventually you want to kick them out of the house. (laughs) Eventually you want to kick them out of the house. You know, what I also realized is that it's okay to be honest with those team members in that business and say, this is the future that, that, that resonates with me. And this is what I want to create. And I believe that I can have a greater impact in our industry on our planet with you know, future leaders, if this is the direction I go in. And that's not a hard conversation to have. Yeah. How do you have that conversation? You just speak with honesty. Yeah. How was that conversation received? Uh, it was, it, it wasn't really delivered until we successfully sold the businesses because you can't just operate hospitality businesses and say, I don't really believe in what we're doing here anymore. It's, it's, you know, you don't want to discourage people. You don't not want, at all. You don't want to pull the air out of the balloon. Or Absolutely the, the not. Sales. And you want to continue their growth and their innovation and their path. You want and to inspire them to continue on the, the vision, right? hundred percent. Right. You know, but for me, it just, it was just leaving animals off the plate. Ironically, it was 2018 that I first came across your name. Somebody who was based in Toronto wrote me and asked me to get you on the show. But because I'm committed to 100% in-person interviews, I'm like, I haven't been to Toronto yet. Wow. So uh, ironically, it was great that you guys you know, reached out. And thank you so much for taking an interest and contributing. Um, but it was around that time that you started thinking to yourself, like, I want to pivot and focus on Planta. Um, I mean, I personally, my evolution as a host of this podcast, my understanding of, of the industry has evolved a lot, too. And I believe in doing one thing and focusing on one thing. Um, if you want to really be successful, you know, what, like what has traction, what has legs, what can scale, what, what am I truly passionate about that will give me the endurance I need to do it better than anybody else and, and get behind that one thing. And it's funny because you, you, you choose the word impact. And if you think about, if you really want to make an impact, you're talking about depth, you're, you're talking about penetration, you're talking about going deep, Right. You can't do that if you're spread out. Imagine if I had like a 50 pound weight and it was just a flat dumb, like, like, you know, weight that you put on a dumbbell, like a bar, like, a, like the circular, you know, the weights, right? And I were to take that and it's, and it's, it's perpendicular, it's, it's, it's horizontal, parallel with the earth and I drop it. How deep is that going to go? Not very deep. It's going to make a big noise and it's going to hit hard. But what if I take that weight and I turn it 90 degrees and I drop it on the edge? much of an impact is that going to make on the earth? It's going to go much deeper. It's mm-hmm. going to stick in the ground, mm-hmm. right? You take all that energy, you put it behind one thing and you will go much further, much deeper. Yeah. Um, what's going through your mind as I'm saying this saying, you know, I, I think you're, you're, you're onto acknowledging the complexities, but also the tremendous amount of purpose that fuels this industry. Um, you know, a lot of people just see it as, as a place to eat. And, 
uh, a place to be fed or get calories or be social or get wasted or, you know, on the outside looking in. But, you know, when you do look in on some of the best and greatest, it's, it is deep. It's, there's a lot of institutional knowledge that is behind every step. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of meaning and, and what I, what I think is super opportunistic about what we're doing and what a lot of, you know, other like-minded businesses are doing are that we are trying to keep the energy and momentum and excitement that fuels all the good about what people love about our business and actually dedicate it to what is good about eating plant-based and you know we we've intentionally like omitted any traces of activism in this concept because that's not how we're going to successfully attract you to to giving us a try one of the biggest lessons that i learned in going plant-based was nobody wants to hear about it and so is it because they're in denial or it just, you know, the, the sirloin and the burrata tastes so good that I would just choose to not know or think about it. It doesn't matter to us. The reality is, is that we are consuming at an unsustainable rate. We are farming doing the wrong practices and if nobody wants to talk about it shame on them right and let us just instead of talking about it try our best to provide some form of a solution right i mean it's interesting because if you're alive today all you've likely ever known if you're living in america is a centralized industrialized food system it's all you know. Mm-hmm. There is no other op. But that is that's just how we get our food, right? Um, it's not until recently that we're really starting to, you know, the the channels of communication, the, the channels of media are fragmenting. It's no longer one person has, you know, the influence. It's like we're starting to share information faster than ever before, and it's the good information that's it's it's starting to seep through the cracks, right? And we're starting to get perspective. We're starting to understand like what is the natural food system? What is normal? If you're alive today. Eating meat for every meal is just normal. It's all you ever did. That wasn't always the case. We're calm, like you, if you eat the appropriate amount of meat, it should be something like less than twenty percent or fifteen percent of your diet. If you are somebody who eats meat, but it's not. That's just not the, the culture of America. It's like every plate has meat on it, and it's a three times the average serving of protein. You know, but that's just norm. It was normalized. I mean, I eat meat. I don't ever have plans on not eating meat, but I will say that I recognize that I should eat way more vegetables. Meat is a treat, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's not the foundation of your diet. Um, I mean, that's kind of my, my, my view on it. And when I do eat meat, I try to make sure it came from someplace that's using sustainable practices like regenerative farming or something like this, you know? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Whatever makes you feel good, man. <laughs> we're not here I, to I talk think, about the food system. <laughs> I, I, exactly. I think, I think, you know, we're, I'm also, you know, one restaurant idea and one concept is also going to not 
you know, take away a decentralized food system. And I'm not also not, I'm not not contributing to a decentralized. I mean, if I could get my broccoli, you know, within a hundred miles of, of, of every restaurant that I operate in, it would be a dream, but that's not the reality either. And it's not one that, that, that spreads consistency. So I think, you know, my response to, to that is whatever we are doing as a society is not enough. I agree with that. And, and, you know, part of me wants to scream, wake up. And part of me wants to, um, just give up, Mm. but also it's not fair for me to not use whatever superpowers I have left to try to change. And I very much believe in people and I believe in humanity and I believe that we can, we can solve this problem because I have three children and I'm concerned. And that's when you talk about going deep, that's what deep means for me. That's what really, you know, am I worried about how my kids will be treated in 10 years in school from now because of their choices or I'm allowing them to have flexibility in their choices, but I know that it's all based on modeling. So when they see, what do they see it happening at home is how, is what they're going to revert to for comfort. And so I think that if we don't address this, then we're screwed. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to this, but I want to save it for the end. Cause a lot of what we usually wrap on it, wrap up on is like where are we headed and what can we do to, to help, you know, in, intentionally move into the future. Right. But back to Planta, back to this idea of moving away from having, I mean, Denny Meyer comes to mind, right? Where he is somebody who um, had multiple concepts like he did, right? Um, he still has the, many of those concepts, but he also has, say, like Shake Shack, where mm-hmm. he took one concept that was scalable and had legs, and he, and he did that, right? Um, I guess my what I'm concerned or not concerned, what I'm interested in is if somebody's listening to this and they're going through what you went through, where you built something, you scaled something, you had success, but it wasn't what you were internally wanting to do going forward. How do you make that transition? Like how, like what, what what did you learn through that, that pivot that you can pay forward? Trust your gut. And this is a really opportunistic time in our world where you can choose your path and choosing your path did not always exist in how society was formed. You know, it's a privilege that we get to do this. It today. is a privilege. Yeah, and, sure. and, and use, use those choices and use that privilege wisely. Got it. 2018 is when you start to get this feeling, right? Um, by 2021, Planta was the number one grossing concept in your group. Uh, it's not the number one grossing concept. It was it had it had matched the revenues that our non plant based assets were were also dri- driving in. So, our the Chase and the Chase Fish and Oyster and Casimoto were, you know, anywhere from eighty five to one hundred and sixty dollar per person check averages. Yeah. Planta is $45 a person. So it takes at specific at the chase it takes you know three or four diners at Planta to 
equate to one diner at the Chase. So when you think about that from restaurant world, like, and they're all busy, right? You know, you almost need three plantas to meet one Chase, right? And at in 2021, our business was was generating more revenue on the planta side of the business than the non-planta side, which was you know an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, and it also gave us confidence that now was an appropriate time to start unwinding our business because the the growth and the profits and the the um, the you know investments that we we were able to recoup from the chase in Casamoto were going towards building plantas. So it's not like we're taking bad money and th- putting it yeah, into you, good. You, it's it's we 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 it was one business and we scaled planta with you know, the chase and Casamoto's success. Yeah, so you liquefied your assets to scale in your passion. Correct. So, so at that time it was the appropriate conversation to have with our board of directors and say, now is, now is the time we should start thinking about these businesses, you know, and, and me not managing them anymore. What is that, that, um, evolution in your business model been like, do you prefer operating on one like scaling one concept, this is the first time you've really scaled the concept, right? Yeah, I mean we we have three we have three concepts within Planta Planta Queen Planta and Planta Cocina, which is intended to offer like really awesome variety in the markets that we're open in. Um, they all have like very 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 ever so slightly different price points and experiences. This where we're sitting today is Planta Queen. Um, so all the plantas are planta, and then there's a hyphenated, and they fall under one of these three. Correct. Got it. And yep. that was planta queen, planta cantina, and what was the other one? Planta queen, planta cocina, and just planta. Okay, got it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it it's a unique um, skill set to choose which is the right planta for each market, and where does it, you know, where does it go, and where does it fit, and and Okay. what's going to be successful but you know was it a was it a is it easier uh nothing's easy in this business especially how i've chosen to expand our business is extremely you know widely located geographically yeah i'm i'm curious about that um you mean spreading yourself out literally right? literally you can no longer walk down the street and be in two places at once not at all yeah um what what has your biggest challenge been scaling one concept? People. Get specific. What specifically? Um, you know, the, these are these are busy restaurants in desirable locations that are intending to function as high volume, routinely visited restaurants. To do that, you must hire staff leaders you know chefs general managers that not only have restaurant experience but have a level of responsibility to be able to handle you know volumes of millions of dollars and purchases and labor management and when you when you shrink that pool to only working in plant-based restaurants. What I mean by that is 
you may be an amazing restaurant manager and you love taking care of people. But like your personal lifestyle and behavior does not align with what I do as a business. You're not going to apply. And forget even like interest. You're just not going to apply. And our job is to try to convince you to apply. And also of all the people that we do convince to apply or have the privilege of like screening or meeting or interviewing determine who is going to be the best key holder of this vision and so, who's going to be able to expand it and bring it to an entirely brand new city. Got it. So when you narrow your focus and, and it's a niche focus, you also are narrowing your, your hiring pool. Most definitely. Yeah. I can see that being a challenge. Also, you're you're no longer shoulder to shoulder with everybody you're working with, so you, it's harder to influence and inspire people that are spread across the country mm-hmm. because you can't be there, you know, sharing the vision, sharing the vision every day. Did I say vision twice? Sharing the, the mission, vision, and values every day. Correct. Uh, how are you overcoming that? How does, this, how does this make you feel, first of all? It makes me feel um, challenged. It makes me feel like... I need to be doing more. Um, It makes me feel that technology is a really, really great solution, but it doesn't always work. And how, how is technology a solution? How are you using it as a solution? We're, we, we probably communicate too much. You know, we, we probably, your employees or with our employees, how are you communicating? Like which, what, like what, what medium, what, like what, how, like where is this, how is this information moving? Is it email? Are you using some oh, type of Slack? Slack. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we, we ensure and like to ensure, you know, the business that we've partnered with these leaders to run are being managed honestly and thoughtfully and empathetically and, it's sometimes challenging to do that with technology. How do I know right now at this very moment what the opening team in Fort Lauderdale or Chicago are doing? You know, do I trust that they're doing well, but I can't verify it? Are you getting, are you, do you feel like you're getting a foothold with this challenge? Are you moving in the right direction, overcoming this challenge? Of course we are. And because by, by effective communication, by by accountability and by, you know, measurement. How are you finding that balance between effective communication and not over communicating? We, d- we haven't found it. Are you moving in the right direction? I think so. Where were you and where are you now versus where the wrong direction was and where you are today? Lots of pointless meetings and talking about our successes and opportunities versus more productive and fewer meetings where we're actually measuring it. And no longer articulating what success looks like, allowing our operators to articulate what success looks like. How are you measuring it? Every, every performance indicator of our business. Employee retention, scores on reviews, sales, labor percentages, food cost, inventory values. Um, measurables. Any measurables. Any measurables. KPIs. Um, this is why I love... EOS. Have you heard of EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System? It's a process for communicating, essentially. Um, so, Gino Wickman. Have you heard the book Traction by Gino Wickman? No. So it's a great book out there. Um, 
Gina Wickman, Wickman wrote this book, Traction, and within that book, he talks about the entrepreneurial operating system, where it's just basically, a, I look at it as like a foundation for your business to be built on, you know, and it's a, and they have like a, your 10-year plan, your five-year plan, and then your your weekly, your annual plan, and then your quarterlies, and then your, your weekly meetings, right? And everything pulls in that direction, and um, it's just a, it's a framework, the framework through which how to set goals and how to communicate goals and how to know if you're working towards those goals and if there's process, you know, traction being made towards those goals. And it just provides this language where everyone can communicate and they're using the same words like quarter, like, like rocks, you know, and like, like that's like your, your goal for this quarter. That's going to get you to that 10 year goal. You know, it's, it's powerful stuff, but it gives you, cause in, unless like, how would you intuitively know how to do this, to, to organize this, to structure this? Not many people do. You need mm-hmm. to out, you need to plug in a system that's already been created, and and it's so important. To your point, it's so important. As you scale, you need a system and a process for communicating and measuring progress. Mm-hmm. Um, to learn more, I would say if you're listening to this and you're interested, just check out Traction. Start there. It kind of gives the big picture of, and then they kind of drill down what EOS is. Again, it's the entrepreneurial operating system. It's powerful. Um, Sorry, I just I love I just, it. Yeah, man, I just wanted to do a little plug there because uh, I'm a believer. I use it in, at Restaurant Unstoppable. There's only four of us, you know. But I think you, if you build these systems in from day one, as you scale, it just becomes that much easier. I love it. Um, man, this has been a really deep conversation. You're very thoughtful. I can tell just listening to you. Like you're very choosy with your words. You don't just like me. I just put. <laughs> like you really choose your words and I like it. Um, what haven't we discussed up to this point in terms of Planta and what you're doing? Um, one question I'm trying to work into the conversation is, you know, we're at restaurant unstoppable. What is it? What's one thing that Planta does that makes Planta unstoppable? Challenge the norm. You know, try, tries to create a development and entrepreneurial journey for employees, regardless of where they're starting from. And I mean, you know, it, it's just unbelievable the amount of leaders that we employ inside of our company now. I mean, we're, we're, we're almost like 1,700 people in our business. And, yeah. and the amount of leaders that we have running this business that started in a more junior role is truly astonishing. Right. That was like everything for me in our Canadian businesses as well at Chase Hospitality Group. But it was so hard to create when we started scaling all over the place. But when you realize that like you know, it's not only proof of concept, it's proof of execution that gets your captains, your bartenders, your line cook to actually believe and see this. It's like, wow, like I contributed to this success so that like that restaurant in Los Angeles could happen. That creates buy-in that I cannot find elsewhere. Mm. So all of my energy is, I don't want to say pivoting, I have like two people in talent acquisition that works on recruiting externally, but 
Now, you know, a new part of my initiative for that department is also to manage and measure employee experience and employee development. Not from like a learning and development standpoint, but like ensuring that the people that we do attract into our business can actually, you know, move into greater roles with us. This is huge. Um, I actually did a workshop with somebody talking about the tan- like creating tangible paths of growth or tangible framing for growth in your uh, organization. Meaning when you hire somebody on day one, you can point to a myriad of paths. Where, where do you want to be? What are, what are your goals? Cool. Here's how we can help you get there. And here's like the path you can take to grow within our organization and showing them here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Here's how you, is that kind of what you're talking about? hundred percent. What does that look like for you? It's, it looks like a brand new process that we haven't started yet. And, and it looks like, it looks like everything that's going to be the greatest and most significant investment that we're going to make. Yeah. Dude, I have names going through my head right now. I want to connect it with people that, that are also going through this. Um, for sure. It's, it's super powerful. Um, what did you mean by employee experience? Was that part of the growth? That's part of the growth. It's part of the, you know, what, what, what are your employees doing for you and your leaders doing for you to, to track you so that your objectives, your five-year objectives, 10-year objectives are being hit. And so their employee experience, does it feel connected to what the vision of the company is? And in some cases it doesn't. And we're struggling with that. Yeah. You know, it's like people don't feel like they're, they have purpose in the organization. And, and I'm like, this is, this is insanity. Like, how do you not have purpose in the organization? You're like the most important person. And so, you know, there's that, that's just like another opportunity. Yeah. You also said, um, when you said challenging the norm and room for growth were like the, the two big things. Let's go to challenging the norm. This is kind of like, the big thing that I think Planta is probably well known for is, is, is challenging that norm and moving in this, not just vegan, but sustainable direction. And one of the things I was really hoping to get out of you today, uh, before we start to wrap things up is the economics behind being more sustainable because it's not necessarily, it's weird. Actually just, you may actually know this gentleman, um, Adriel, uh, Lebrowski, Lebarski. He's a sustainable like coach, basically. Okay. So it goes into restaurant groups, and um, he basically helps them create their sustainable corporate structure and nice. plan and strategy. Just actually, just re- uh, interviewed him on my way south at the beginning of this trip, and now uh, you're my stop in New York City on the way back north. So Very cool. Episode just went live. I'll check that out. It's probably right up your alley. But he makes the argument that when you take when you when you think about sustainability, it's really just about less waste. Right, it means you're you're cutting margins. It's, it's, you're looking for ways to be more efficient, um, and like so, how have you f- tried to find that balance of, you know, maybe increasing like I'm sure sustainable packaging, and to go containers, a sustainable like you know containers and stuff like that is not less expensive than plastic Mm-mm. or styrofoam. Mm-hmm. So, from an economic standpoint, like how are you finding that balance between doing the right thing and also rationalizing and communicating to the consumer you know is it just as expensive or like i mean just it's more expensive and we don't even consider the alternative it's not even a consideration so So, yeah i mean we're we're trying to leverage our purchasing volume to bring the unit cost down but you know the recyclable fiber 
takeout packaging that we're using that's fully biodegradable is being used, right. regardless if the restaurant is not performing. So how is it working? I have ideas, but I don't want to make assumptions. How is it working? Like, how are you executing it? Like, how is it? How is it that you're not going out of business because your <clears throat> your rates are more expensive because you're you have these values? How do you rationalize it? I mean, I kind of feel like I know all the answers to this, but at the end of the day, like, what can we do if we want to replicate what you're doing? What are the challenges that are, my listeners are going to face, and how do you overcome those challenges to do the right thing? You have to. Every business has a, a, a unique value equation. What is it going to be? What is it going to cost to run your business? How much do you have to charge the guest for you to execute it? No one, and guests included, understand better than restaurants and restaurateurs how slim the margins are. So, you know, the nuances and the choices are, I guess, easier for for one, for, for people that don't have sustainability in mind and don't want to leave the planet in a better place than when they, when they came. And so, you know, it, it, I don't have an answer for you, yeah. Eric. Well, there's data that supports that Gen Z, the number one thing that matters to them is sustainability. And we're moving into a future where this is going to be something that you're going to be judged on. You, people might not come back to your restaurant if you hand them their to-go in a styrofoam. They might be disgusted by it. You know, so like you're going to lose, we're getting to the point where the consumer is becoming more educated and also their value systems are changing. So the question is, how much longer can you get away with not doing this before people start to push back? There's probably always going to be that market of people who don't give a shit, but generally speaking, there is a shift happening. There's data supporting it. My only bit of advice is that fortune favors the bold. <laughs> Back to the beginning. <laughs> um, one other thing I was curious about, and I'm sure you know way more than this than I do. Uh, you, you mentioned analog burgers. Um, how much better are those for the environment? They're, they, they, they are better for the environment. I'm, I'm not sure how much better they are for your health. Right. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm arguing that they're not better for the environment, but I also... How much better are caramel lights than caramel reds, you know, or Marlboro lights versus Marlboro reds? You I think it's a, it's a different <laughs> it's a different comparison. I think, you, but I guess you know, mono think, farming is the, the where I'm going with this. Is mo, is mono farming a good thing for you or anybody listening to this <laughs> podcast to think that your food is not coming from an, a, a factory farm is ludicrous. Everything that you touch, eat, and ingest is 96% coming from a centralized food system. Yeah. So we're aligned there. I think, but so like, so, so understanding what needs to happen to get you your burger is what makes me never want to eat it. Right. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to try to go toe to toe with you in this yeah. conversation because I know you know way more than I do. And I'm not anti sustainability. I'm not anti, um, you know, my big thing is I think the system's broken. The centralized food system is the problem. Um, the consumption is the problem. What do you mean by that? There is no way to raise cattle and there's no space to raise cattle in a productive way anymore. Okay? Because. Where the amount that we consume beef or chicken or eggs or dairy 
Like, it's not as if these cows just, like, pop out of the sky and right. you eat them. Like, they also, every cow that you eat started as a baby cow. And how does a baby cow become an adult cow? Feed it. You feed it. Yeah. Okay? And so where do you feed it? Uh, in the mouth. No, no, but I'm saying, like, you, you, you feed <laughs> like, it. Where, you like, feed on it the farm. On, on a, on where a does cow it ranch, shit? Right? Or, on the farm. Or, is that okay. So, so... How, where where do you get the where do you get the food? You have to grow it. You got to grow it. Where do you grow it? In the fields. In the fields. Where are the fields? In the center of the country. In the center of somebody else's country that yeah. we just decide to, you know, take yeah. twenty five thirty acres a minute of land that doesn't belong to me or you, belongs to somebody else. Yeah. To then grow food, to then create the food, which could end world hunger but also rather than ending world hunger we just bag it and ship it to various countries around the world where anyone that's raising animals to then feed it raise the animals use all the water to raise the food and all the water to feed the cow and grow the cow and make it a healthy cow then give them all the medicines in the world that could you know stop all of the disease and outbreak in the world but instead we give it to animals just so it could become a burger for you. Yeah. Just so that when you decide that I want bacon on my, you know, burger, and when I want um, a, you know, steak salad for lunch, and then when I want a, you know, spaghetti and meatballs for dinner, it's available to you whenever you want. Right. However you want. Right. Accessibility. Like, the convenience, I can open up my phone and I can order from any restaurant in New York City that I want to right now and get whatever I want. That's crazy. That's not sustainable. No. That's not reality. Right. And so it's the world that we live in and it's one that we've all contributed to and benefited from greatly. But the planet and our health have not. Yeah. And so that's the why. And the why is that Regardless of your education level, regardless of your what you believe in, and regardless of how much you genuinely love everything that you ingest, it's not doing your body or the planet any favors. And I think about that very differently when I'm bringing in children into this world and I'm actually taking a really unique skill set that I believe I have and a lot of people inside of this organization have where they can take this creativity and channel it to something really good that's not perfect for the environment. Right. But it's a hell of a lot better than what exists at the alternative. And that we just need people making more decisions like that. Yes. So that consumption can go to an actual sustainable level. There probably is a world where if everybody gave up 60% 60% of what they consume from animals that we could all live sustainably. Yeah. That farmers could be in business and I'm, I'm going to continue <laughs> that farmers can be in business, that dairy farmers can be in business, that cattle ranchers, that could still be centralized, but not to the expense of the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the forest fires, the rising sea levels that is just genuinely going to kill us anyways. Right. Like that will be the reason why we 
are no longer on this planet is because your children and my children and their children may not be able to survive an earthquake that gets so horrific because of what we are what we're eating today yeah uh I'm not opposed to anything you just said for the record. Like I, I'm no, supporting I the message. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, um, I wanted to give you that, that platform to stand and get your, your message out. Cause I think it's a good message. Um, I am sometimes curious as in terms of a solution. Um, and this is something I could learn more about, but it's something that I, I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can tell me something about it. Um, how familiar are you with regenerative farming with, with using cows yep. to basically to fix the problem? Yep. Like, how do we make that happen was what I'm curious about. And what if the cows that are, we're using to s- fix the problem after they've, they've, you know, done their job for, like, one cow's life cycle, right? Like, this cow has now contributed to part of the solution. Can we process this cow and make it full circle and eat it after it's spent years regenerating the soil? Is that a solution? Um. I'm not a climate scientist Neither to be able to, to, to contribute to the answer. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's somebody I that's love that listening. Solution, I love it. I love yeah. it too. Is it reality? Well, how do we make it reality? Well, it's you, not reality. You, you make it reality when you don't make hamburgers cost $3. I agree with that statement. So and, my, yeah. So. And, and so you make it a reality when all of these businesses that are live, you know, that are, that are contributing to all these processes in such an unsustainable pay an insurmountable amount of tax to not do their business that way. But that's just not where we're at today. Right. I no, I agree with you. I think that we are so just oblivious of how privileged we are because it's literally all we've known. We've acclimated to this point of privilege that we don't get that it's a privilege because it's just always been, you know? And I think to help people steer away from that, you have to say, Hey, we weren't always here, you know, like, like we're so lucky, we don't even realize how lucky we are. Uh, but part of the solution, like, hey, if you want beef, by all means, you have the right to get it, but it shouldn't be three dollars because that is a privilege. Like that should be like they should tax that because like in that the the money that goes towards that tax goes back to the solution, right? I think I feel the same way about imported food. For the record, I think it's bonkers that we live in the Northeast and we can have tropical fruit from all over the world and the carbon footprint to bring that food to us so we can get it at a, and what about where it's coming from? Are the people that are farming that benefiting from their, most of these, and I know we shouldn't be using terms like second and third world countries anymore. I'm not sure what the politically correct term is. It's escaping my mind. You know, do you know what the term is? Can you correct me? Um, no, basically people who are less privileged. Yeah. If we live in a globalized world, we should have globalized opportunity in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... Where I think, does that money go? It should go back to where it was grown, in my opinion. I don't... That's just me. Listen, this is this is like... This feels like it's climate, global change, <laughs> unstoppable. Well, so, I know that so was a big I, part of it, your mission, and it, I wanted it, to give it, you a it's point. A, it's a big part of my mission, and Eric, the, the part that I feel that I'm at this point in my... In, in, in this part of my journey able to contribute to... You're doing it. Is... Is to influence the consumer ever so slightly. Yeah. Because telling someone to be something and do something different is clearly not what works with our with Got our it. society. Well, our our target audience isn't the consumer for the record. Our target audience is you five years ago. Mm-hmm. 
what I'm trying to do is change the world through changing the industry. And if we're going to make a change, we need to create a platform for leaders like yourself in the industry to stand and say, have you considered this? So there's, there's people listening <laughs> to this that, that potentially would want to work for me. 80% of our listeners of the five to 6,000 listeners are restaurant owners or operators are aspiring to be amazing. Yeah. So that's why I'm digging deep, man. I'm not trying to talk to the consumer right now. They don't give a shit about this, this episode. It's people who are trying to, to achieve what you've achieved. And I think that if we're going to complete my mission, to transform the industry so we can change the world. I think this industry, if there is one solitude industry, it's not going to be fucking healthcare. They're not going to do it because those you know, we know how no, I'm not going to get in, into that pipeline. It's going to be the restaurant industry, second largest industry in the world. We are influencers, dude. Our decisions in feeding people directly affect what happens in the future. And mm-hmm. we have to spread this information. I don't have the answers, but I'm definitely curious about what you're saying. And I know that if we're going to, and this is just one perspective, and I'll listen to other perspectives too, but we need to give people those perspectives in order to change the world. Sorry. Restaurant unstoppable. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I am am motivated. Yeah, dude. This is what we're here to do. And you've been a great guest, dude. Is there anything we did not discuss that you're like, why didn't he ask me this question? No, no. This is is an ongoing conversation and this is an ongoing journey for all of us and uh, it's it's amazing to to hear you know the connectivity and the passion that you have for what you're doing and I think we only took one break I think that's yeah. my bad Jared you're gonna have to get creative and find a word to put the second slot for sponsors I used to do a speed round when I did the lights oh yeah we'll just do that but I don't think we I think we kind of did it under the radar <laughs> I don't think the, I don't think the listeners knew that we stopped um, this has been a lot of fun man me too um, Thank I, you. I'm kind of switching the the mod like the the template of the podcast I used to do a speed round. Honestly, I kind of got irritated with the speed round because I would find myself wanting to continue the conversation and I would have to go, I got to ask you these 10 questions. There was, however, the last question that I'm thinking about sticking on to, which is, this is the final question I'm going to ask you before we wrap it up. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Eat plant-based. One. Lead with humility and empathy. Two. Trust your gut. Three. This has been a lot of fun, Stephen. Thank you so much. Um, we, we wrap up by having my guest call somebody out. I'm really trying to make this be what steers the ship. Um, I want this to be journalistic. I want the industry to tell me who I should talk to. Who am I to decide who gets to be made an example of? You recognize success better than I do. Who do you respect and admire and think should be a future guest on the show? And now a short break when we thank our sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) I need some thoughts. I need a minute. Yeah. If you can't just narrow it down to one, the more the better because that that just gives me more opportunity to, to do what I do. What are you looking for? I'm looking for, I mean, I think my sweet spot right now is people kind of like you who have had success and they're at like this, this second level of evolution where they're going from, you know, I think your business evolves from five to six locations to let's scale across. You know what I'm saying? Um, you have to change your whole organizational structure. The things that you're dealing with right now in creating these channels of growth for your business. So it's like we've had success. So I can share you with you, my listener, how we got to this place where we can 
have options to scale across the country. And now I'm telling people about how I'm doing it. I, I think you'd have a lot of fun talking to Nick Kenner. Nick Kenner. He's the founder and CEO of Just Salad. Oh, he's on my, they're a B Corp, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's actually, guess who suggested I should talk to him? Who? Adriel Labarski. So New York is loving Just Salad right now. Mm -hmm. I love how they're using their uh, reusable containers too. That's, do you know him? I do. I would love an introduction. <laughs> awesome. And uh, if we were inspired by today's conversation and we're like, I want to come work for this guy and plant and be a part of the change, how do we connect? My email. And? Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, at planta, P-L-A-N-T-A-H-Q.com. Now is when I say, there is no questioning, Steven. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Stephen Som, for coming on, sharing your story, getting vulnerable, going deep. And I think the big takeaway for me in today's episode is this idea that we change over time. Our values might stay the same, but we might get a more honed mission or purpose. For Stephen, that's creating awareness about uh, veganism and vegetarian. I think it's, yeah, straight veganism um, or, you know, just how your restaurant has an impact on the greater picture that is our uh, planet, you know, Um, and whatever the mission might be, whatever the mission is for you, whatever the thing that you care strongly about that you want to create a, a, a mission around, you can do that with your restaurant. I think Steven is a good example of that. Uh, You can use your restaurant to inspire others and to serve a greater purpose. Uh, so awesome stuff. Thank you again to Steven. And if you are enjoying this podcast and you want more episodes just like this, if you want to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry so we can transform the world, I need your support. Uh, I am in the process of figuring out what life on the road with an RV will look like. So I'm curious if you're out there and you're listening to this, you want me to come to your community, your city, do you have a place for me to park my RV? If you do, <laughs> reach out to me, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Uh, the other thing I could use help with on the road is capturing all this content. Uh, so if you're an aspiring social media person or videographer, uh, I have all the equipment. I have all the tools. I just need the manpower or woman power. Uh, reach out to me again, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Um, looking to create a network of people to help me on the road with this podcast, keep my costs, my operational expenses as low as possible. So any support is greatly appreciated. And I cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi for your copyright and editing under the Sumadre brand. Thank you to Callan Miola for your community management involvement. And thank you to Anna Tazin with the Good Kind Consulting for your executive support and counsel. I can't do it without my team. So grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.